Good morning and greetings from the Kids' Kingdom Room. I'm up on the church premises today uh, using one of our Sunday school rooms because I needed the uh, space to do some visual work behind me. And uh, this will be home to us for today's message and for the month of May at least as we go through some things at the moment. Uh, and if nothing else, it gives me an excuse to wear a bright coloured shirt with a dark background. Now, we're going to continue to explore our teaching series um, that we've been going on for quite a while now, which is titled Ascend. And I'm going to invite you now to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and we will read that shortly. If you're new to church because of the online forum, first, welcome. It's great to have you here. But also, if you don't have a Bible on you, that's fine. Um, the words will be on screen shortly when we read that out for you. Now, this series is being built around three different concepts of ongoing upward motion. And um, this talks, this pertains to the way that we live out our Christian life, how we express our faith uh, within our own lives, but also for the world to see as well. And I'm um, seeing three key ideas come out as we read the book of Ephesians together. Um, the first three chapters have shown us some really amazing theology. And when we engage with theological ideas in Scripture, we're supposed to reflect on those things. We're supposed to uh, engage with that deeply. And uh, as we reflect deeply with these first three chapters, uh, there should be a degree of, of joy and hope coming up within us uh, as we read these things. Joy and hope should be emerging within us and, uh, and, and high praise and prayer should be coming from us as well. Uh, that is definitely the way Paul is laying out those three chapters. He's bringing a theological idea forward and then he's erupting into praise for it. You know, he's bringing out uh, something else and then going into something, into uh, again, praise and prayer. And, and, and from all this, um, we see the first upward motion in play, uh, the one that I call looking up. Uh, the first upward motion is an ongoing position of looking up. And uh, last week, alongside that, we went into chapter 4 of Ephesians, and I began to introduce us to a second ongoing upward motion. Alongside looking up, we also step up as well. We're beginning to see that stepping up begins in Paul's mind as living a life worthy of this wondrous calling that we have in Christ. That's the opening statements of what being a, what stepping up looks like here. Um, looking up helps us to understand our calling. And stepping up is the mindset of intentionally walking out that calling. We understand it, we go into praise for it, we re reflect deeply on it. But there comes a point where we have to walk that out also. Our faith has legs. Now, we only had time to explore a few verses due to the nature of this online forum uh, last week. Um, uh, but there were some loaded ways on how we could begin to walk this out laid out in those first few chat a few verses there. And uh, so I'm just going to remind you of those things. Uh, Paul talked about this one. Humility. <laughs> this is lowering your view of yourself. Uh, it's finding joy in service, among other things. So we have humility being one of the ways that we walk out this, uh, this, this calling that we have. Uh, he talked about this one. Gentleness. 
using our power mechanisms for good, not personal gain, uh, for mercy, for justice, for right. Uh, it's the fruit of the Spirit that enables us to correct others appropriately and uh, and it facilitates restoration uh, in doctrine, in relationships, in fellowship. It's an amazing trait to have in us as believers and in the life of the church. Uh, we have this one. We have uh, patience. Patience or long-suffering in the King James Bible. This is letting our drive and our ambitions and our temper be stretched. And we get this stretched because we interact with people to do it. And then we have this one. It's a longer one. We have enduring love. Enduring love. Bearing with others in love. That's what it talks about there. This is choosing to be invested in others and loving them. And finally, we have this one thing, this big idea here. Unity in the spirit with the bond of peace. This is something Paul admits we need to work for. It's making every effort on our part. But it is something that we pursue um, because we're willingly arrested by it. Uh, we are binding ourselves to this sacred calling with a gentle shackle called peace. And we join with others in demonstrating the wisdom of God uh, to the world from this place in unity. One of my key conclusions last week was that living a life worthy of our calling can really only be a life lived in Christian community. How else do we know these traits are in play in our lives unless we rub shoulders with the people we're supposed to be using these traits for? We're now going to go a little deeper into Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, we're going to look at verses 4 to 6 today. Just another short passage. We're going to read this together now from the New International Version. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, Paul asked us earlier to work for unity, to bind ourselves to it. Uh, and he uses uh, the image of the gentle handcuff of peace as a word. And now he shows us seven key ways that unity is expressed through the church. It's seven expressions of oneness uh, that we can find common ground on here. And I'm going to um, look at these seven things today, seven expressions of unity today, and see how they work in our lives. The first one, unity is expressed in one body. This is becoming more and more real to me at this time that we're in right now. This, is be, this has been pointed to already in Ephesians, and it will be again later on as well. Uh, we're told in chapter 1 that Christ is head of a body called the church. 
And in chapter 2, we're shown that God sought to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together into one body where we could see uh, peace with each other and reconciliation with God occur. Paul's idea of the church being a body shows up extensively in other letters that he's written as well. 1 Corinthians shows us this, Romans shows us this, among others. Christians see the work of Jesus as an incarnational thing. Uh, God came and dwelt among mankind, is the story that we hear. Uh, he didn't send a video. He didn't get on board with Zoom. He came and dwelt among mankind. Uh, uh, we look at Eugene Peterson's version of the, of the Bible, the message, and John, um, uh, John chapter 1 tells us that, that the word that God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So we have God taking up resonance and presence in the world, which is really amazing. And, and we, as a result, see our own Christian expression as incarnational also. Um, we are organically connected with each other through Christ. And the scripture, the scripture shows many metaphors to drive this point home for us to understand that. Some of you actually correctly noted a degree of melancholy in Jenny and I last week when uh, we were leading the communion section on Facebook Live. Um, there was a reason behind that. There's a backstory to that. We we'd been watching the service like you guys on TV, and um, and. Before that, we've been uh, facilitating what I would simply call digital ping pong. <laughs> um, we've been uh, trying to make church happen in, in such an unorganic way. Uh, we had the, the, we've got the foyer time. So we're trying to create a, a, a thing of, of, of live interaction with other believers. Then we're switching devices and we're going to YouTube and we're getting to a church service. And then we're coming back to our iPad and then our iPhone and and two different platforms to do communion and all these different things. And, and we just, in the middle of that, we're a little bit sad by that. You know, we kind of just realized that, that this digital thing is, is helpful, but it's, it's not normal. It's not natural. It's not, not what the Christian expression was designed to be. And, um, you know, and I'm a very introverted guy, but it created in me a fresh sense of longing to be together again, to gather. It gave me a fresh appreciation for this thing called the body that we're in. There is one body, and I'm a part of it, and so are you. I've been inspired by an article I read a few weeks back from a preacher named Brian, Brian Zand. I'm not always a fan of his conclusions. He draws some conclusions that I differ from along the way, but I do think he's onto something with this current idea that he's put out, which is, don't let this pandemic turn us into Gnostics. Don't let this pandemic turn us into Gnostics. Uh, the ancient heresy of Gnosticism was a complex thing, and, um, and it had a few different problems. Uh, it, in some expressions, it denied the deity of Christ, um, and in others, it de denied the humanity of Christ, and, and, um, and both were two sides of the same coin, trying to draw conclusions that how could God be material form, you know, that sort of thing. And um, it stood in opposition to the flesh and blood full humanity of Christ in some ways. And uh, John's gospel is written to combat Gnostic thinking. So if you know what he's writing, you will get some understanding of that. Now, Gnosticism in some ways looked at salvation as a way of escaping the apparent evil of the material world. 
uh, it looked to various forms of disembodied faith expression. And, and they looked at this both in the temporal as well as for eternity as well. Um, there's an old saying that gets around nowadays that says, this world isn't my home, I'm only passing through. And uh, there's a, that actually may well be a, uh, a little more Gnostic than we intend, particularly if it means we want to be aloof or apart from the, the uh, material world around us a bit. It's, um, we're supposed to be incarnational, there's supposed to be presence within that. And um, there's a heap of church leadership gurus all saying um, that the online world is the future. And I'm concerned about that too, because that may well be a little bit too Gnostic as well. But thankfully, I'm also hearing a voice from everywhere right now that indicates, Christian or not, we're all a little bit over our screens. We kind of want to touch, see, interact with people. Uh, there's a desire to give out hugs. There's a desire for handshaking and, and, uh, and all these other things. And, and uh, people are just going, I'm over screens. I just want to be around people again. And, and I'm in that boat too now. I'm kind of over this screen thing. If this is church forever, I'm not interested. This is not what church is supposed to be. This is supposed to be one body. There's supposed to be some gathering here. And, uh, but I also believe there's a renewed longing at this time among Christians, as well as even the nominal ones who have been watching televangelists for a long time, to even get back to this practice of being one body. Um, Brian Zand goes on to remind us that Christianity is a sacramental religion. I like that idea. It takes water and oil and bread and wine for us to practice out our faith. We do those things physically and and that's pretty awesome this online setting that we're in now is helpful because we're by necessity in it uh, we kind of have to be in this place where we're doing time distance and we're using the wonders of technology to get us over the line at this time but the christian expression works best when we are one body operating in organic community We read also that unity is expressed through one spirit. The Holy Spirit has been present in all that Paul has written up so far. It's almost as if uh, the spirit is the glue that is pulling all of Paul's doctrinal ideas together. Uh, in, in particular, chapter 1 tells us that this one spirit is the deposit of what is to come. It's the down payment, as it were, uh, of the hope that the church held. Uh, I remember buying my house and, 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 and I remember the journey that we did with that. And um, we, There's a point where, where you have uh, a, a conditional time and then the contract becomes unconditional. Uh, the conditions when we we did the the we put the deposit down we said here's the here's some cash uh, you can have that cash after these conditions have been met you know it's a standard one you know the building inspection the pest inspection um, the the all the the different things that need to check out uh, the finances stuff like that and but there's a point where it crosses over and the deposit is no longer yours it's now in the hands of a trust for the owner to take hand of hold of now and um, and once the contract becomes unconditional even though you haven't taken the keys yet 
It's almost like you, I, I found myself talking about that house as my house. Whether I was occupying it or not, it was still mine because things had become unconditional. And the spirit in our life tells us that the God's uh, commitment to us is unconditional. It's, it's there. We have that assurance because of the Holy Spirit that is in us. That's really amazing to understand that. And uh, we need, all should, should note this, that the, the part of everybody's salvation story is the Holy Spirit's work. You know, we don't just relegate this to the charismatic gifts. It's not that that's one part of the Spirit's work, but, but everyone, uh, the, 1 Corinthians 12 says that no one can even say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Now, this is important to the Ephesians because a bunch of their members have once learned to seek the help from other spirits. Uh, there is ancient literature from the magicians of the time that explain the benefits of having a familiar spirit at your disposal. Now, um, in my mind's eye, I, I, I remember the movie The Golden Compass, you know, the one with Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig in it, and um, they had uh, their little spirit animal getting around. They called it a demon, of all things. And, and they had an animal that walked with them as part of their, their um, spiritual makeup, as it were. And, um, and I think that's kind of the idea in play here, minus the animal. Um, it, it actually says this, that the magicians of Ephesus taught that familiar spirits would be an assistant who would reveal things clearly to you and will be your companion and will eat and sleep with you. And over and above that, this familiar spirit was also able to call on other spirits as required. The Holy Spirit is described as an advocate who comes alongside. So we need to be really discerning about what spirit we're actually engaged in here. There is one spirit we're supposed to give our heart and attention to, the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Ephesians had other spirits that they could tap into, and we clearly know that these were not godly things. When I think about this in context, I consider uh, some of our, our Korean and our Congolese community, perhaps uh, some sort of spirituality might be part of your past and you've walked away from that in order to follow this one spirit. Uh, you might have family members, um, you know, uh, like the animist or, or other um, sort of spiritual backgrounds uh, that are around. You might have had to reject those in order to follow Christ. You probably can uh, uh, to relate to Ephesus even better than some of us in the West. But us Westerners can also get caught up in some of this pseudo-spiritual stuff too. We can put too much reliance on other things, the horoscope idea, the uh, looking for signs in the sky or other sorts of pseudo things like that. And, and we can put our trust in other things other than the Holy Spirit too. And so I see a challenge for all of us to come back to unity by going, we are all come together, we are all equipped we, are all, um, we all share the hope and the deposit of this one Holy Spirit. It's important for us to know that. These two tie us into the next one. You see, we have one body. And that's because we're moving in the same direction, because Christ is the head directing this one body. We have one Spirit being the deposit. And therefore, because we all have the Spirit and we're all part of one body, the natural progression is, is that we all have one hope. This is worth thinking about, that 
the community we are in now is actually part of something that will be massive in eternity. If we don't want to be in Christ's kingdom community now, we're going to find eternity a little bit hard. All right? We're called to live out uh, in anticipation of a community that is going to come under the king, under our king. We have this thing called a future hope together, and because we are both, uh, because we are all in, uh, all have this hope, and we're all in towards that same destination that should bring us, by extension, all together as a tighter body brought together by the Holy Spirit. That's amazing stuff. In fact, that was actually a philosophical idea in play back then. Uh, they often talked about relationships heading for the same destination together. Think a husband and wife with the same end in mind. And as they both went for the same uh, destination, they too would get closer and closer together in the process. Think like a triangle, people moving closer as they move onwards in their life. And, and I see this in play with this as well. We all have one hope. And as we all live together, anticipating this one hope, well, we all come together as we do that. And we get tighter and tighter together and unity forms as a natural byproduct. The next one is this one. One Lord. The people of Ephesus had some challenges, Romans, pagans, and Jews alike, as they considered this one Lord. Caesar wanted annual acknowledgement as Lord, as Kyrios. Uh, it made life a whole lot easier for you if you were willing to go to a local shrine to the emperor to make that annual confession, whether you meant it or not. Artemis was widely worshipped as the Lord above all the cosmos. The supreme deity in their midst. She ruled over heaven, over earth, and she ruled over the underworld, and all spirits answered to her. She was the supreme Lord, Kyrios. The Greek speaking Jews had a daily confession describing uh, one Lord to describe Yahweh. There is one Kyrios in the Greek. It, it, oh, we have one Lord. And in their mind, that is Yahweh, that is the, the God of the Old Testament. One Lord here, in Paul's words here, is absolutely, unmistakably Christ. Artemis and Caesar would lose their title for good for people who follow Christ. And the Jews would actually need to give Jesus the same identity, title, and authority that they gave to Yahweh. In every case, old mindsets fell and Christ is elevated above all. And I'll do a bit of a nod to uh, Rodney May for putting that into the song bracket this morning. Above all. Let me stop and pause on that one for a moment. Has something other than Christ been getting lordship status lately in your life? We've been talking about what your Artemis might be. What is trying to rule or lord over you in your life at this time? Is she trying to poke her head up right now and going, no, 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 you've got to give your attention to me. You've got to give your devotion to me. You've got to give acknowledgement to me. 
is there some sort of Caesar experience? You know, uh, uh, the kingdoms of the world getting our attention more than the kingdom of God. All of these things must bow down and Jesus alone is our Lord. We must walk in that. So we have one Lord and now we have one faith. One faith. I noted this the other day with my young adults study group that the whole complete gospel is not spelled out in every single book of the New Testament. Uh, you know, we have different emphases coming out. Ephesians tells us about the work of grace. Uh, Romans speaks about justification. First Corinthians gives us a definitive doctrine of the resurrection. Uh, each book, each letter has different emphases on what the gospel and the Christian life is. And yet, when they all come together, we find a profound unity. Uh, when taken as a whole... They give us an unambiguous gospel to receive and to live out. It's amazing what the scriptures do. Now, Paul tells us there is one faith. And by this, he means there is a consistent line of teaching that is presented by the apostles throughout all the churches. Uh, there is a series of essential things that all of the church were to receive and to live as gospel. Uh, we don't know just from Ephesians what that whole gospel was. But when we take in all that is written, we can have a pretty accurate view of what would have been taught to the church in Ephesus over the years that Paul was there. Unity expressed as one faith is to come together in a joint pursuit of what it means to live out the gospel of Christ. It calls us to get ourselves locked down with the essentials, the non-negotiables of our faith. If you're looking for a creative way to do that, get on our elementary website uh, page and, and, uh, and jump onto that. It's on our church website page and there's an elementary section there. Be part of the Zoom discussion tonight. You're welcome to join in. This lockdown period has led to some in the Christian world getting completely caught up in peripheral issues. And sometimes this comes at the expense of the essentials. Um, you know, we get a little bit too enamored with those sidebar issues as it is, and we're trying to work with arguments from silence a lot. Um, but in the wake of the pandemic, I'm seeing a bit of escalation with this stuff. I just want to say this. This is not the time to start working on whether COVID-19 is God's judgment on the world or not. It's not the time to start calculating the last days. Um, it's not the time to shoehorn our, the latest conspiracy theory into our theological reflection. Uh, instead, this is actually a chance to work out what we really believe. What are the essentials? What are the non-negotiables of our faith? And then sit down and figure out together how these things speak into the world and what it needs right now. I believe firmly that the essentials of our faith, the hope that we have in the essentials of our gospel, is exactly what the world needs right now. We don't need to be caught up in all these other sidebar things. We just need to nail down our essential gospel. Our unity in the core will then ensure that we, the frayed and the mysterious edges don't cause us to get divided over those things. In the 17th century, the Lutheran preacher Rupertus Maldenius suggested we think like this. In, in essentials, let there be unity. In non-essentials, let there be a bit of liberty. Let people have freedom of conscience. 
but in all things let there be charity. In other words, don't fight. Instead, be unified as you navigate the core things together and have a bit of uh, generosity towards each other when you're navigating the things that we haven't quite got nailed down yet. Then we have this one. One baptism. Look, in the first century, you didn't join the church without being baptized. That's how it kind of was. It was a right of entry into the God's Christ's kingdom community. It was a clear sign of being united in Christ and with each other. You know, and scripturally, it seemed to happen pretty much at conversion. Um, going into the second century and beyond, it was sometimes delayed while a, a spiritual journey was put in place for the new believer. But discipleship always involved the practice of baptism before a person entered full Christian community. I don't need to harp on this too much at the moment, but I will, I, I will say this. I'm determined that there will be a baptism service at some point soon after we're able to gather in some form. Um, at least before the year is done. Um, I have no clue how the social distancing measures will play into that. Uh, but for some, unity might be calling for you to go down this path. For us all to come to a place of the unity we need for what is to come. Baptism might be a step that I want to leave with you to consider whether that is something you need to be first in line for when we're finally able to put one of those services together. And finally for this morning, above all this, there is one God, one Father. We're very Trinitarian all of a sudden, aren't we? We've got the Spirit, we've got the Lord Jesus, we've got one God. If we're in Christ, we're to let there be no worship to anything or anyone else. From this day forth, nobody, no thing, no other thing under heaven or earth is worthy of the worship due to our one God. There is no other deity to invoke or beseech or appease. There is no other temple or shrine to sacrifice at. There was no other religious practice worthy, just one true God. So we have all a complete picture of Christian unity in play here. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. All those things in play together lead us to a unity that the scriptures call for here that sets us up for something really special. Paul invites us here to live a life worthy of our calling. Or as I see it, to step up in humility, in gentleness, in patience, in enduring love, work for unity in all its fullness. And all its fullness is present in these seven things. It's a Christ-shaped unity that we're talking about here. We're not merely adhering to a church vision statement here. This is a unity that is reliant completely on the Spirit to work on this sort of fullness to get it to this point. Now, next week, 
I'm going to show you how unity like this will feed into a diversity in the gifts that Christ gives the church. And it's a really exciting time for us going into next week. I really am deeply excited about what the Lord might do in all of us in the weeks to come. If we all get to this point, we then move into the next step, which is a diverse skill set being brought out. From the strength of Christ-shaped unity, powerful and effective ministry will flow. And we'll tap into that next week. We're going to do something uh, interesting now. I'm going to actually ask you to consider these seven steps of unity right now. And I'm going to ask you how these things are going in your life right now. I'm actually going to give you space to, to uh, look over my scribblings. I'm actually, and I'm going to uh, allow you for 30 seconds or so to look at these. And I'm going to ask you, which one of these needs the most work in your life right now? Now, is there one thing that the Lord is prompting you, saying, get unified, get locked down with that one thing? Is it getting connected with the body again? That might be really important for some. We might have had a bit of a disembodied faith. It's a little bit too Gnostic for my liking. And I'm finding in this time that I'm longing to get back to this. One spirit. How well do we engage with the Holy Spirit? Uh, one hope. This thing, if we all have the one destination, then that will inadvertently bring us together. One Lord. If anything else is calling for lordship in your life, we need to reject that and call Jesus Lord only. One faith. One set of core ideals that make up our gospel. Have you got those things nailed down? Or are we stuck in the periphery things that we have no business being until we've got the course set up? One baptism. Maybe the Lord is prompting you about that. And definitely one God. There is no other God. There is just our one God and who is expressed in three persons, of course. And uh, we have an amazing, rich doctrine of who God is in our life as well. So it's amazing to reflect on just the magnificence of that. Our God Almighty is amazing. So let's reflect on these things. And uh, I'll come back to you in just one moment. Why don't you look at these things for yourself? In John 17, Jesus made this prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Hey, that's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Make them one, Father. There's a unity that Christ offers us and invites us into. And Paul has written out a number of different ways this is expressed. I pray that you have been challenged in one way or another in, in what part you might want to play in that particular expression. Let me pray.